Welcome to the Hilltops Phoenix podcast, week commencing July 8, 2021. Headlines are COVID regulations in Burua, Young Yabbies win, funding for Murrumburra Hard and Flexible Services, and what's on. We talk with Guy Sebastian about The Voice and how it's different to X Factor and The Australian Idol. We chat about his new album and his upcoming tour. We also showcase the important work of the Sebastian Foundation and their efforts to tackle mental health awareness and suicide prevention at the roots. What's on? July 14, Young Camera Club meeting. July 17, Karen Baldwin Medium presents an evening. July 31, Kurawatha Markets. August 28 and 29, Ben Kapilko Photography Weekend Workshop. September 10, The Screaming Jets. The Hilltops Phoenix is a free community newspaper out every Thursday. It's found in news agents, supermarkets, petrol stations, cafes and more. You have the opportunity to come along for the journey to success as we offer a variety of marketing solutions with a range of print, digital and podcasting advertising, monthly features and advertorial options. We're all about bringing the best out of our community with a positive attitude. This means involving community groups and businesses so we all survive and thrive. If you would like to let us know about your event, something the community needs to know about, or contribute a piece about your club, email the team at editor at hilltopsphoenix.com.au. Hi, here we are speaking with Angus from the Bora Business Chamber. Thanks for your time, Angus. Not a problem, Ashley. Happy to be here today. Oh, great. So today we're going to be talking about the COVID check-in mandates. From next Monday, every business, church, gym, childcare centre, school will have to have QR codes again and I guess it will be fiercely policed. What do you think about that for regional New South Wales first, given that we haven't been really causing much of these? Yeah, I think um, it's a very good idea to make sure that the regions are properly observing the rules associated with the COVID restrictions. When COVID first hit, we, we didn't have to do a lot in the country. We, we had our lockdown and a lot of the shops in town here in Bora were closed and that was fine. Um, then once the people were able to travel, people were coming out of Sydney, Wollongong, Newcastle, Canberra as well, mm-hmm. um, coming this way, but we didn't have any sort of restrictions around you have to QR. The pubs and clubs certainly did the QR code and that's fine, but generally the retailers weren't in that position. Now with this this more, I suppose, um, this, oh, I forget what it's called. The, is it the Delta version? The Delta, yeah. Um, versions coming out. Um, there has been a push by the New South Wales government, at least, to uh, make sure that retail shops, et cetera, have QR codes, um, hand sanitizers, and all that sort of thing. We in our shop in, 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 in town, we supply masks, the, the sanitizer, as well as the QR code. There's been, you know, some people prior to that used to say, where's your QR code? Well, we didn't need one because of our size. Mm -hmm. Now we do need one because it's compulsory. And we're quite happy to do that and and put the stickers on the windows and whatnot because it's important that if someone from outside of town comes to town and they are eventually found out that they have this, the the Delta version, then it's important that we make sure that everybody around is alerted. We we are a small town, say, of 1,200 people. 
um, if we get impacted by the virus as such, then that can be devastating to our economic future. Shop owners, um, employees, if we have to shut down too long, then a lot of people's livelihoods, et cetera, will be affected. But it's been good to see that the businesses in Burua and the people themselves are observing an awful lot of the, the new rules, including the compulsory mask wearing. Even if it isn't sort of happening, as you say, it's good to be observing them because you never know. You never really oh, know who's where that person's been. Like if they're someone you don't know their face or whatever and they're in the supermarket, you don't know if they are they from Sydney, blah, blah. Yeah, well, so, we, I, I was in the for half a day um, and two um, ladies later, later in their life came in and they were tourists and one was from the Central Coast and one was from Wollongong, but they were together. And I said, oh, geez, you know, you're from those areas. Hopefully you're outside that zone. Well, that afternoon at 6 o'clock, uh, Wollongong and the Central Coast were made um, COVID hotspots. Hopefully they, you know, didn't pass any germs on if you lot of the COVID on in that mm. time. But um, you just can't, you know, you just can't be certain. But now we've got the QR code. It will certainly make sure that we know where people come from. Mm-hmm. And do you think local business owners will agree with you and also? I think so. They're fairly sensible lot. Um, some of the shopkeepers actually got the QR code before it was, it was deemed necessary. Yep. Um, we're very conscious that if it reaches the regions and Borough being sort of like a, a hub point from Canberra all the way through to Dubbo, Cowra um, and through to Young and other places, it's important that if we, if we get people through um, that we know where they've come from, uh, and if they do end up get unfortunately getting the COVID, then we're able to trace them back, or the government can trace them back, and subsequently alert um, businesses as well, not only in Bora but everywhere else they've travelled. And it could be even a Bora or resident travelling and yeah. you know coming home. I was going to see my sister in um, Northbridge, North Sydney, mm-hmm. um, on Wednesday the twenty third, and um, if I had gone there and come back. Um, I, would have, I would have had to self-isolate for two weeks. Yeah. So it's just people knowing that, you know, what the rules are and what potentially could happen may restrict some people travelling out of Bora or out of the region um, to the larger mm-hmm. cities or even to Canberra. But it's, as long as they're away, aware, and there's a lot of people are aware of their responsibilities, which is really good. What about business owners? Are they aware of their responsibilities? So um, it's there is going to be policing. It has happened out in our region as well. Uh, do you think business owners are aware of like what will be the results if they don't follow the rules? Oh, for sure. Um, even when the in the first round of restrictions, if you like, um, we the, the police were in a in a, a, a fairly. They, they were around. They, they were there. You could see them. They, they visited the pubs to make sure people were sitting down if they were having a drink or sitting down there anyway, um, that they had masks on if, if they weren't drinking or eating, things like this. So they, they were quite, um, I'm looking for the right word, they were, they were quite prominent in where they were. And even the services club, quite late at night, we had a meeting during the week. Uh, I think it was it be a Monday night or a Tuesday night um, for the business chamber and the mm-hmm. car club. And the next minute, the police walked through, very relaxed, and everybody says, "Oh, there's a cops. We've done what?" And again, it was just them making sure that the club was observing their the rules they had to, but also the patrons. And that's Mm -hmm. a good thing. If if people know that the presence of the police 
is going to be around the region, then people will sort of have a second second think about if well, I won't bother wearing my mask. Oh, yes, I will wear my mask. So as long as they know that they're going to cop a hefty fine um, if they if they get caught doing the wrong thing, um, I think it's a good thing. Obviously, there's times you forget. A, a number of times recently, I, I carry a mask in my van and in my car and whatnot, and I'll duck out to go to something and, and have to turn back and go back and get my mask. Yeah. But that's, that's just life. You know, you've got to get used to having a mask on. And a lot of people do complain about it, but they understand why they're wearing a mask, which is, mm. which is the main thing. And it's good. And the business owners support the police in doing what they're doing. And it's quite often people say to someone, put a mask on. Um, the signs on doors, wear a mask before you come in the shop. Make sure you hit the QR code or scan the QR code. If you haven't got the QR code, we'll sign you in. All these sorts of things go a long way to getting people used to having to or live like this, if you like, for quite, for which I think yeah. will be quite some time. Yeah, yeah I that's think- good. I think so too. I don't think it's going away. We keep getting variants all the time, but look, we don't know, and it's just as it, it's just easier to follow the rules, especially for now. That's the way it should be too, though. Yeah. The, the, the government goes to a lot of planning. You know, there's a lot of uh, talk about what the government's not doing and what the government is doing, but I think overall, regardless of which state or federal or state government, um, I think everybody's trying to do the best for it. And people observing the rules, like I went and got my first AstraZeneca shot on last mm-hmm. Thursday. It's not that I didn't want to get it before. It's just, oh, well, here's a new variety coming out. Might as well start it because I won't be able to get another shot until 12 weeks or something. But I think um, it's important that, that people do get that shot, especially in a small country town. But there is a lot of people in this town that don't have it. And that's their choice. My wife doesn't have it. That's her choice. Uh, the, you know, a lot of people are still not certain that, that um, all the problems that they have with these um, injections have gone away. So they're entitled to their opinion as long as they understand that later down the track, unless they've had the vaccine, they might not be able to travel to Greater Sydney or to Brisbane or Melbourne or, or definitely not yeah. overseas. Yeah. Mm. And be at risk getting really sick. So yeah. we've also having it in schools as well do you think what do you think about how the kids um i know you're a grandparent do you think the kids will be understanding why this is all in place and having to wear masks and around everywhere no (laughs) try try to put a a mask on a on a six or seven year old will be pretty difficult certainly uh one of the, the 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 grandsons goes to um, the childcare centre in town and, you know, you, you have to wear a mask on the way in. But once you're in, um, the child can take the mask off or there's all these different sort of rules, which um, I hate when people say I'm confused about it all. But sometimes, you know, it, it's, a, it's the little things that cause people to think twice about what they're doing. I think with the, the schools, obviously there's, there's teachers there and teachers will be able to try and maintain a mask wearing environment but i think it's also too it's, it's up to parents to make sure that yep. um their, their children understand why they're wearing a mask because you know six and seven year olds they, they don't really care they just want to play uh, or or have fun at school or learn and sometimes you know they, they're obviously they're not interested in politics or yeah you know, all this sort of stuff but i but i think with them seeing other people with masks on they'll learn from each other 
um, the schools undoubtedly will be very good at making sure that they stick to the rules. You know, I, I obviously not every child has a has a QR code. Um, I, I don't know what happens there, but I suppose they get checked in when they go to school, so they know they're there. Um, so that's one record. The what do you call it? The attendance record. Yeah, um, the role. Yeah, I, I think over time, kids learn it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it may be a new new normal for them. Um, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. There yeah. are well, just they'll, they'll so many unknowns, them. and not to use the word confusion, Angus, but there there sure is confusion. I think with the parents as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't know whether my logic's the same as everyone else's, but <laughs> you know, most of the stuff that's dished out by the media. Well, I, I don't listen to the mainstream stuff. I listen to ABC usually, which is mainstream in a sense. But also, too, if you if you listen to what they, the health advisors say, I think it's, it's quite clear. You know, people under the age of 50 can now get X, Y, Z. Well, I don't know how people can get confused over that because prior to it was only Visor. Now they can get AstraZeneca. It's quite mm. simple, really. You can have anything yeah. you want that's legal. So, yeah, it's, it's things like that. that yeah, I don't know why people get confused, but that's life. I think it's getting away from the um, like the shock jocks and social media and actually paying attention yeah. properly. Social media is a bit, um, it can be very negative towards it and certainly yeah. take people's point of view away from what the government or the authorities want to, to get out there. Mm. Yep. In regards to the business chamber, do you think it'll have any impact on business levels? With the last round um, of restrictions, once, you know, the, the, the main areas, the city centres and all that, the, the travel was lifted, travel lockdown was lifted, the regions boomed. Um, mm. People were asking us, oh, it must be hitting you hard. Well, we were so busy, we, we stopped taking orders because the amount of people buying caravans and four-wheel drives and heading out west, it was great for us. And I, I don't know of any business in Borough that will retail-type business or front business like coffee shops, all that sort of thing. They, they were all going gangbusters. This one seems to have slowed people down a bit. We're not getting the through traffic or we're getting the through traffic but people aren't stopping. They're more inclined to keep going to their destination rather than getting out and, um, you know, especially caravanners. The caravanners seem to be um, heading through but the what I call... Um, the latte set or the hipster types, they'll still stop and get a coffee. They, they can't go past a coffee shop. So that's really good. And they want food and that, which, again, is really good. Our own business has probably suffered a bit in the past six weeks. Um, it's been quiet, and I think the cold weather has stopped people coming out. So there's a mixture of different things. But generally, I think once the – if they don't allow people to go to Victoria or Queensland or international, people will travel regionally, and we benefit from that in a big way but coming into winter winter's always quiet anyway mm, yeah um, unless they got the snow fields and we, we're not on that track but generally um, you know we, we get the older people that are, are tripping around that they tend to stop in and things like that yeah yeah mm. maybe it's come at a good time except for school holidays yeah well the school holidays is generally a busy time um, the June weekend was, was still, the June long weekend was still quite busy for the town. But since then, it's, it's been, again, it's gone back to being quiet. It was quite leading up to it. Now it's quiet again. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose, you know, every business is, 
all businesses at some stage have a quiet time. So this is one of those for us. Angus, the Chamber's been going for a year and you've got the AGM coming up this month. So can you um, tell us a little bit about the progress and where the Chamber aims to be? The Chamber uh, has been going well, I think. I have to say that. I'm the President of the Chamber, so so (laughs) I have to say it's going really well. But we're focusing on a lot of tourist things um, or or issues which affect business. We we don't have a a representative on council from Boorowa, so we we tend to represent a range of different environments to council. What we do is we have a, a committee meeting once a month and then every second month we have a general meeting which we invite members of the community to come along to hear what the business chamber has been doing. Things like we, the last meeting we had Graham Jones, who's the school principal at Borough Central School, and he outlined, uh, we, we were asking him, how can we engage with, with students so that they may become trainees or apprentices within town? I myself, I'll, I'll get a student once a year for a week um, to show them what I do, and it's more to do with um, you know, wood and, and making furniture and whatnot. So they come along and I've, I've had uh, young girls come along, I've had young fellas come along and usually end up employing them every now and again to take pallets apart for me and things like that. So it gives them a little bit of pocket money or a bit of a, a career. One of the panel beaters in town or the panel beater in town, he's looking for an apprentice. How does he get one? Well, he go to the, go to the school. We only have, I think it's 11, year 11 and 12 students. So there's not a lot coming out of the school that we can get a hold of and try and train. I think about 70% of them go to university or try to go to university and the other 30% tend to try to get jobs locally or do something that's not university um, qualifications or they don't have to get university qualifications to do. So we we look at those things. Boroa isn't able to attract a lot of businesses at the moment and it hasn't for quite some time due to lack of land. You think with all the farms and everything, there's plenty of land, but there's none available which has the services for us to be able to say, well, here's some commercial sites, a factory can come in. There was a fellow from Townsville, of all places, wanted to move his business to Burrower, as you would. There's no difference between Townsville and Burrower. <laughs> so he's leaving the warmth to come to the chill. He made the flavouring that goes, or he does, make the flavouring that goes into coffee. You know, you get those hazelnuts and vanilla flavours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he moved here, but... Our water is so, can't drink it. It is so bad. Um, and he said that stopped him coming here. Borowa itself has been trying to get better water to town for 40 years. The state government has put some money about, you know, doing all the tests and analysing, but we've never quite got there. So it's still an ongoing issue. So part of our role as a chamber is to keep reminding council and other people, such as our local, um, not our local rep, our state representative, Mm-hmm. and our federal representatives about our need to have water. Typically, you get all the, yes, we understand, but no real action. So we're pursuing that for a while. But that will help develop Bora. It'll bring more people here. Also, too, is it's trying to get land made available, is that we, we're only an hour and five minutes from the border of Canberra. Mm-hmm. And I used to live in Canberra, uh, and I call it the Canberra Creep. And they, they are gradually moving out more towards Boroughway. It used to be Murrum Bateman, then it was Yass. We're the next one. People through COVID, they've been coming out to Boroughway just for the day trip and seeing how beautiful it is and turning around and saying, we want to, to live here or we want to buy something here so that when we retire, such as I did, you can move out and, and 
live the, the best life possible. But you've only got you've got all the services in the world an hour away, which is which is really best place to be. So they're coming out and they're buying things up. So it's it's becoming even more. It's harder even for the locals to buy something that's available because everybody's get snapping things up from Canberra and around. We also get a lot of people from Wollongong, of all places, really? Wollongong. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, the people that come through the shop, oh, I'm from Wollongong. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and oh, where do you live? Oh, we live at Rye Park, which is 20 minutes up the road, or they live at Rugby or um, Frogmore. So the, the, the area is growing. So with the area growing, we've got to make sure we have the infrastructure in place to cater for the increasing population. And, again, we haven't got that. So as part of our business approach, we also like to take in the community approach, which is, well, we need these services so that Bora can grow. And I think it would be out of the the, the hardened, young Borua parts of hilltops that I think we'd be pretty much the seeing the larger growth mm-hmm. at the moment. And we, we need to try and cater for that. Plus there's a whole range of other things that we do that, you know, we, we take on the, you know, we have a 40-kilometre main street, but we can't seem to get the B-doubles and, um, some people to, to recognise that. And we have one pedestrian crossing. It's hard to see. Someone's going to get barrelled, as we say. Um, so we, we're, we're working with the New South Wales Police. So they've been very good. They have extra highway patrols and we're trying to get speed camera put in, things like that. So there's a whole range of, of things that the business chamber does. I won't get into our, our little blues with the council, um, how they've, you know, we, we think they haven't spent the money correctly. Um, that's neither here nor there. That's That's... That's a long discussion, that one. And the interest by the community is growing each time we have a general meeting. They come along. Some people just sit there and look, and other people want to partake. You know, you get your nodders that come along and nod, which is they think that, you know, well, we think we're doing the right thing, and we look for feedback from them. And, and we ask them to, to let us know if there's anything we can help them with, which, which they do. So how many members are there in the chamber? I don't know. We, we've got, I think it's about 45 or 50 mm-hmm. paid-up members which is pretty good for a small town. We've got some people that just join because it's a community thing to do. We have each year in the Hilltops region, Borua, Harden and Young, we each have our own separate Christmas spending spree. Mm-hmm. So from I think it's uh, early November to mid-December, if you spend money in one of the shops, you get a ticket, which means you go into a draw to win a prize at the end of the the end of the competition mm-hmm. it's called the, the christmas spending spree or yep. um, cash splash and last year the first year we had we had um, our first prize was three thousand dollars which meant that three uh, 30 shops or 30 businesses in Borua put in a hundred dollars last year we had 47 businesses put in a hundred dollars right. and this year we hope to get to 50 but that's quite a lot of money for a small town so basically someone wins five thousand dollars which they get to spend in Borua at one of the participating businesses. It can be spent all at once or it can be spent over a number of months. So hopefully Hilltops Council uh, support us or support the three towns and they gave $5,000 for advertising, printing off pamphlets, the tickets and and so on. Also to some business, we had 16 additional prizes such as um, my shop and other shops will give $50 gift vouchers, a couple of the pubs or all the service of the the clubs and pubs put in dining vouchers or dinner for two yeah. uh, things like that so yeah we end up with 16 different prizes or seven with one being the major prize of four thousand seven hundred dollars last year so 
We'll see if we can get 5,000. So we promote all that. We do all the work for that. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really good Would you know? to have that. <laughs> no, we need people advocating for Burua. Yeah. You don't. Burua doesn't need it to be clouded out by Young being the major city in Hilltop. Yeah, one of one of the things we we don't Not get to a get lot political, of political, of course. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People get upset about the merger and all that sort of stuff. But let's move on. You know, that's that's history now. So we, we get on with it. But one of the things we did do, we we applied for a grant to the wind farm. Uh, Bango yep. Wind Farm, or yep. their name, Bango Wind Farm, and they gave us uh, just over two thousand dollars to have an advertising campaign in Canberra. Yep. So they gave us money. Gary Robertson, he's our Australian of the Year. His mm-hmm. brother-in-law runs uh, one of the radio stations, one hundred six point three and one hundred four point seven. He does mm-hmm. all their advertising, yep. so we've got pretty good bang for our buck. And over a period of three and a half weeks, we we got prime time advertising. I think it was one or two in the morning and one and two in the afternoon, where um, they came up with the script, come out to beautiful Burrowa. We didn't mention any businesses. It was uh, have a coffee, have something to eat. You know, it was the specialty shops that we have, all this sort of thing. And it only took 15 to 20, uh, 15 to 20 seconds each one. And, of course, we, we mentioned Bango Wind, sponsored by Bango Wind Farm and yep. the business chamber, which was really good. We, we actually got quite a lot of people coming out. Great. And they said, oh, we just want to come and see what the radio ad was about. They thought it was fantastic, and and they're coming back again without having the ad. So hopefully, um, we might persuade the same folk to give us some money um, that we might be able to do it closer to Christmas again. Yeah, it's great. Hey, guy, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. How are you? Yeah, really well. And yourself? I'm very good. I I have a feeling it's very echoey where I am. I'm speaking into a laptop, but hopefully, it's it'll be all right. And hi, Rebecca. Hi, Ashley. Rebecca, everyone is joining us to talk about the Sebastian Foundation and we'll get to that. So so just to touch on your career, Guy, what's the best thing about being a pop star? Um, oh, that's, I, don't, I don't even know Big how question. to answer that. Um, <laughs> I, I think, look, I've always been driven by, by you know, creation like like uh, you know obviously the music side is what excites me the most and and um i think from very early on i i came to the realization that there's no perfect world where all you do is just create and i think so many songwriters and and artists you know their their first love is obviously just like that feeling you get when you have an idea and it pops into your head and then you are able to sit in a studio and slowly build on that idea and put all the jigsaws together and then you get to this point where you know the idea that was in your head comes to life there's no feeling quite like it and and if you could just do that that would be awesome but i think i was lucky that i had to come to terms with well, to support that idea and to get it out there, then you've got to do so much other, you know, so many other things that you're not necessarily as comfortable, you know, doing like obviously talking about yourself and and doing promo and um, being on the road and being away and all the all the things that go along with, um, I guess, being an artist. But I can't, yeah, I, I have to say I, I've never ever sort of um, deviated from my number one love, which is is you know creating music. And is it also you get to use your profile to help people? Um, of course, I guess that's a byproduct of of you know when you when you make music. That's that's another I guess another thing that that is obviously one of the positive 
um, repercussions of, of being a public person. It, it, it's, um, you know, I write music a lot for myself. I write it about people around me and what they go through. Um, but then when you release it, you figure out that, though, you know, your art actually takes a completely different life with other people and what they're going through, they apply that song to themselves and their own life and everything that's going on in their own life. And so for a long time, I... I, I would receive and still do obviously receive so many messages from people saying, oh, you know, this particular song, for example, Choir, which deals with losing a loved one, you know. So I, I had a lot of people, I guess, write, you know, about their own experiences with that and how the song helped them through moments. So, you know, it was played at funerals and um, Standing With You, which is about mental health i had so many people who have gone through their own mental health issues and it's uh yeah it's just one of the really great byproducts i guess of creating music is is it's such a powerful medium you know fast forward a little bit of you know through the years we eventually started the sebastian foundation because mm. um, i just wanted to almost formalize and kind of glue together all, all the different things that I used to do with charity. I, I used to just be involved in so many different charities and I found myself maybe being a bit spread thin and I thought, you know what, why don't I just start my own charity then I can actually focus on raising funds and, and investing into something that I'm personally really passionate about. And yeah, a lot of what we um, have done so far is, is you know, we're, we're doing a lot of exciting things in the youth mental health space. And that's the thing that we're concentrating on. And, and it's uh, somewhere where we believe we've got an opportunity to really make an impact now. And Rebecca, we'll call on you too. So this sort of touches on the work you'll be doing in Griffith with what you're offering in the schools. Yes, certainly. So we're supporting a mental health program, which is uh, for students from years five through to year 12. It's called Open Parachute and it gives all these students just mental health skills. So it aims to teach them how to deal with all of the challenges that you, um, that you face in life, particularly issues that are really being felt particularly strongly in regional areas. It deals with bullying, depression, anxiety, social media, body image, all of the challenges that adolescents face. And so we're really proud of this program. It gives students skills just to understand and better deal with those things. And it does it in a way that is really easy for teachers to implement. So in the wake of the awful tragedy involving Lauren Rafferty recently, we have offered this program into 20 schools and we're offering to fund that. And um, so all the schools need to do to get involved is to um, get in contact with us at the Sebastian Foundation and we'll connect the school with a clinical psychologist who has put the program together and it can begin. It's so easy to implement. <laughs> it can start straight away. Guy, why did you think the MIA and Griffith was a, a place to focus effort and energy on? Well, I guess our ultimate goal is to have it everywhere, but obviously there are a lot of problems that people in rural communities face that are quite unique to their communities. I mean, mm -hmm. one minute you've, people are facing bushfires or drought or a mouse plague or, or you know, th there's things that are heaped on top of people in these communities that a lot of other people don't get, you know, like there's there's problems that 
every young person has when it comes to bullying, when it comes to the pressures of social media and all of those things that we didn't have as kids, which is a lot of these things that this program will tackle. You know, the world's moved so far along and we are so far behind when it comes to giving these kids the mental fortitude to be able to tackle these problems because you think even just in the last decade how much things have changed and how much more vulnerable our kids are when it comes to being, I guess, open to to all sorts of of, um, attacks publicly, but also mass mass consumption of what the world around them thinks. Like people who who might do something silly, a kid that might do something, make a mistake or, or get video doing something and then it gets shared like this within an afternoon, the whole school knows about that little embarrassing thing that's happened or someone's just decided to pick on someone so they've shared some untruth about them or whatever it is. These things are happening on a wide scale and so they're, they're consuming all of these hateful comments and these threats to to harm themselves and all sorts of stuff. I, I didn't grow up with that. You know, may, maybe that happened from a couple of people but not a whole in your mind as a kid, that's your whole life, your whole world is now just putting their foot on top of your head. And it's a, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot to, um, to tackle. And, and that's why I, I feel like, um, I feel like it's such an important thing to get this program into these schools to help kids deal with that first, but then it'll give them also the tools to be able to tackle those issues that these rural areas throw at them as well, which is, you know, often pressure on the parents, but the kids feel it as well because it's in in the family and in the home. So um, I've toured throughout regional centres, you know, pretty much my whole life. I'm doing another regional run soon where I'm going to be touring through all, you know, all throughout middle Australia and all throughout uh, the countryside and and as well as major cities. And and it's just, I, I guess, always been it on my heart to, to be able to in, influence the heart of Australia as well. Oh, well, that's powerful words. Thanks, Guy. Well, I, I, I'm looking forward to you actually seeing the, uh, seeing the program. It's just such a beautifully put together program. As Beck said, it's you know Dr. Haley. She's a clinical psychologist who who has a doctorate, a PhD in in bullying and 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 it's the intervention of bullying. And she's just put together it's such an amazing program. And it's kids speaking to to kids. It's not adults going you know be mentally stronger. It just it just doesn't work like that. It's just a collection of videos from Aussie kids. Some, some are, are from rural communities, some from cities, they're from all walks of life. And they're just saying, you know what, these, this is what I went through when I went through depression or when I tried to self-harm or when I tried to, when I faced issues where, you know, there was no consent or all. So there's kids that are actually sharing their own stories. And then the teacher has a list of points to talk about post watching these videos. And these kids are actually in the classroom talking about it. So I guess the whole aim is just to not put band-aids on the issue when it's too late, which we um, are grateful that there's so many different programs that are out there to help people struggling with mental health. But I really want to add weight to the prevention side as well and early intervention where we can get get these kids prepped, at least at least prepared for what they might be facing and why they might face them. I, I don't think anyone can argue that that's extremely beneficial. Um, because I know... Suicide has touched you 
mm. with your band and and your life and i guess it's something yeah. close to your heart too so absolutely going down the mental health side of things with our foundation really was it was about timing you know i i as you as you said i've had you know, I've lost some people in my life to, to mental health and, and quite recently um, lost a, a friend. You know, four, four or five days after our wedding, actually, we lost Jules's brother and she had to be ready to be able to really tackle the mental health space because it was so close to her heart as well. You know, it's a tragedy that, you know, we still can't really come to terms with. It's like a, a really, it's an open wound that I think doesn't have ever really close. It's a very difficult thing to understand. But I, I'm really proud of Jules as well because she's just sort of dived in and um, wanted to make a difference in that space and, and use, I guess, a lot of the, the, the pain that's happened as a result of losing her brother to actually make a difference in, in his honour. And yeah, yeah, we're really, we're really happy to be going down this path and I think everyone knows it's an issue so so Rebecca we'll run with heart go ahead this month later this month oh I'm afraid in <laughs> fact just yesterday this oh, really? it's been oh yeah it's been postponed so uh, I have still haven't made any changes to the website or anything as yet which you've just um, reminded me um, but yeah they made the decision yesterday that we're going to need to postpone it till later in the year unfortunately I the challenges of yeah, yeah the, and you know it's an outdoors event but the challenges of running a race and maintaining social distancing it's it's just yeah. too difficult so that was scheduled to be in uh, 20 days time and so like a lot of things around here at the moment it's um it's just been postponed so we're going to be running with heart but towards the back end of the year Jules broke her leg we just yes. went skiing <laughs> oh. and uh, I've, got a, I've got a broken um a broken hand I've, I've <laughs> Busted my thumb in a f in a few pieces, and then uh, that was a cricket injury. Actually, I was embarrassingly I was on the um, fielding in the outfield, and I dropped a catch, and it just literally just smashed straight into my thumb and broke it in a, in, in, in a few pieces. Oh, so I uh, I've got this cast, and Jules is uh, nursing a broken leg from skiing just before lockdown. It was her first time skiing and she had a tumble, the, you know, the second day. You know, all of us, and including her friends, were like, oh, you'll be sweet. Just get up. You've got to get back on and just keep going. So she kept skiing for the whole week on a broken leg and oh. now she's, uh, yeah, she's not. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, we're sorry. So the run, the run wouldn't have happened for her in 20 days, so it's good. Now she's got no excuse. There'll be plenty of time for it to heal. Good in a way, good for Jules and yes. probably good for participation uh, and proceeds coming into the foundation because people yes. would yeah. probably yeah. pull back, I'd imagine. But, yeah, we're, we're super excited about things like that and, uh, uh, you know, we've got a, quite a few things that we're working on and um, one that may may even include Griffith, but I won't, mm -hmm. I won't, um, I won't go into more detail right <laughs> yeah. now because we're putting I think suffice to say we just we're very interested in supporting the area and we're going to continue to, to deliver initiatives to continue supporting the schools and the students of regional Australia because we know that they're hurting and we want to do what we can do to help. Yeah. So guy, we've got Truth. It's your ninth album. Does it yes. weigh on you to keep recording or like you said earlier, it's still the songwriting is coming out and 
something that you love. Yeah, I'm always of writing. Course. I think I've possibly written half of my next album already. It's it's uh, the, I, I released Truth just at the end of last year, so a little while ago. But uh, but I'm on to my seventh or eighth single that I'm about to yeah. release. And yeah. So I'm about to release my my last single from the album. I've never released this many singles off one album, <laughs> which is great. I mean, it, it, I literally set out when I wrote this album, I was like, I want to feel excited about every song, not just settle. Sometimes we settle and, and we go, oh, that's an album track or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it might have a special meaning or whatever. And you go, I oh, know it'll never be a single, but I really wanted to set out to have all the songs mean something to me and mean something that was personal to me in the last few years that you know things that have happened in my life but also feel like I could release them as singles and so I think testament to that we've actually released more singles than I ever have on any album starting it started with before I go we released choir Um, I've released uh, you know love on display let me drink a whole bunch of others standing with you which was um, you know it was a really fun one and yeah, about to release a ballad that I wrote for my missus. So, so it's uh, it's good. I mean, not not all the singles all end up being you know firecracker success, but um, but it's it's not always the purpose. And and um, yeah. yeah, I've been really lucky with this. You know, with choir winning my my first ever song of the year at the Arias. That was pretty special. I was hosting the night at the time, so I was just a mess of nerves and emotions. And then to win the song of the year, you know, on the night that I was hosting was pretty special. I'll never forget that night. And you've had 32 nominations. It's, uh, yeah, it feels like um, it reminds me of of how long I've been doing it for, you know, coming up to (laughs) almost two decades since I, you know, since I've sort of, started this whole thing and and it's just funny I feel sort of more I'm more in love with music like creation now it's it's and it's been really I guess really I'm a positive person so although lockdowns and ISO and all that sort of stuff have been challenging living in Sydney it's it's also given me an opportunity to to actually spend a lot of time in my studio and tackle other projects and I've been tackling a couple of other things at the moment where I know there's no way if I was busy and touring and all that sort of stuff I would not have been in a position to catch some of the ideas that I've been able to catch recently so it's um, been really nice to have that space. Fantastic. So you've got the tour dates coming up, 16 dates I counted. Is that right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, For the major city run. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, like an arena tour and I haven't been touring obviously like most other people for for a long time and, and it's, it's a, you know, especially on this album, like I said, I've released so many singles yeah. off it. And then I've, I've got so many other songs that I've released over the last couple of decades and, and I'm just excited to get back on the road and to, especially this last album, some of the songs that I've released are so, um, they mean so much to me, but I haven't really got to tour them, you know, in front of people and to see firsthand how much these songs mean to them. Mm-hmm. That's the best part of it when you actually play it and you see, you know, you see the little things in an audience. You notice so much as a performer, like you might start a piano intro of a song and you see, you know, a couple look at each other and you know that, <laughs> oh, that's, you know, that's their song, you know, or, 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 you know, you see kids interacting with their parents and like it, it's just such a, it's an amazing feeling to tour. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. 
And I love that you've also got a couple of regional dates there. So you've got like Bendigo, Cairns, Townsville. Mm. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to those. And then and then um, possibly, well, depending on, I guess, when we can get some clarity around uh, around COVID and all those sort of things, I'll, I'll be touring quite extensively next year as well, just uh, in, you know, for a lot of the people that can't get to the big cities, I'll be, uh, I'll be coming out to you guys. So it'll be, it'll be, yeah, it's, I still say, and not because I'm just talking to you and we're addressing regional areas. I've always said, right, Beck, yeah. like my fav- the favourite part of my life over my career is touring regionally. Like I don't know why, I just find it so fun just going to, like driving through our amazing country, going to some places that I've never been before. I've been to most places now, but just stopping and like going to a local cafe or going to like playing a little local country golf course or whatever like before my show, like it's honestly uh, – I feel like I'm on holiday and then I get to do what I love at night. Like, it's just, it's so good. Fantastic. It's great news to hear. Finally, I'll, I'll let you go. How are you preparing for The Voice? Look, it's all done. It's all finished as far as the filming goes. It's it's kind of a weird process. Obviously, we've got some challenges with, you know, the way we can film. and uh, oh. But we, we got really lucky. We filmed it in a window where there was no restrictions. There was nothing. We had a full live audience. Um, we had Keith Urban, myself, Rita Ora, Jess Mowboy, no masks, all of that. It was just like filming a normal show again with a full live audience and it just felt it felt amazing. And, and all of the production team had masks on. They, just they to, did have. If you were sitting in a coach's chair, you didn't have to have a mask. But no, no. Or no. the audience. The audience didn't have to. That's, so that was, true. It was like the first, I think it was the first live audience in Sydney or in the country or whatever, like first live TV audience that, that was allowed to um, sit there without masks and stuff. So we had a ball. I just really wanted to get to like tv because some of the singing this year is just it's stupid how good it is like the i I still can't believe how many uncovered like Mm. artists there are out there that would just blow your mind like people who you know do the the most like unexpected jobs and do things for a living but have these like secret talents and that's why I love the voice the most. It's like we've sort of moved away from like getting heaps of professional singers and stuff like that. I think they they were a bit too thick with with like professional singers the last couple of years. But then now it's just moved back to just finding really raw talent. And and um, yeah, it's, it's been a really exciting year. Okay, so how does um, voice compare to X Factor and Idol? Um, well, I, I mean, I was on Idols. X Factor and voice are fairly similar in the in the sense that there's a lot of mentoring that happens. I feel like um, maybe the voice generally has a little bit more of a of a. It's moved away, I guess, from the kind of judgy. Um, that's why they're really adamant. You're not judges. You're coaches. Like we're not there to just like try and give funny one-liners so you know at the expense of someone i feel like it's very nurturing whereas you know the the culture of x factor was a bit more entertainment value and it was a bit more old school but i guess when i when i look at some of the things that have you know it's funny when you just look at reality tv as a case study of how we've developed as um humanity you look at some of the bullying and some of the awful things that were said back in the day i remember the paulini thing um, where there was a comment about her weight. I, I, I remember 
you know, there's so many one-liners that, you know, the, the nasty judge would say that you would absolutely cringe at now and you go, how the hell did they get away with that? That is just pure bullying. And um, so I think one of the great things I do, I do love about The Voice is that's not the spirit of the show. The spirit of the show is just to really encourage. You never, you never hear anything but just honest feedback about their actual you know, music and how that can get better. You never have, there's never any personal like digs at their expense. Um, not since I've been on the show anyway. We, we get stuck into each other as coaches, but, <laughs> but only a little bit. But yeah, I think that's probably the biggest difference is that to me, it's probably one of the shows that have evolved to something that's really positive and, and um, you know, it's still reality TV, but, you know, we, we still love to find stories that move you and, you know, make us all cry. But at the end of the day, I think it's a really positive yeah, thing. Yeah, a different sort of entertainment value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, which we need. There's yeah. a lot of the other, there's a lot of the other, other sort of TV. So, well, thank you so much no and thanks for chatting about the, the foundation and everything like oh, that. And I'll be of seeing, course. We're looking yeah, forward to everybody. everything that you can help us with in Griffith. I can't Stay wait. can't it. wait to get there and to, to tour there as well and, and then Yay. also to revisit the, the Griffith golf course. I, I was, I was, <laughs> my flight was delayed and I was lucky that I had my golf clubs. Uh, my flight was delayed and in Griffith the golf course is right next to the airport. So I literally... Yeah. I, I checked in my suitcase and everything and I went and played a round of golf and almost got a full 18 holes in while I was waiting for my flight. It was the best <laughs> best way to spend a, a flight delay ever. <laughs> That's great. Great. Well, we'll pass that on and um, maybe they can uh, give you a, a round for free or something if you come visit. There you go. No, I'm, I'm happy to pay those golf courses. They need support. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they do. They do. Okay, oh, thank well, you so much. No worries. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Guy. Thank you. Hope you have a lovely, lovely day and enjoy the rest of your party, Rebecca. Brown Box Media is an international communications agency with bases in Australia, Asia and the UK. The Australian arm offers publishing, strategy and marketing, public relations, podcasting, video, direct marketing and design solutions. Visit www.roundboxmedia.com.au or contact us on 0416 737 625.